Matthew 18, beginning at verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle his accounts with his servants. And he's began the settlement. A man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found out one of his fellow servants who owed him a few hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown in prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. When the master called the servant in, he said, Your wicked servant, I cancelled all that debt because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In his anger, he turned, the master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Let's pray. Father, we pray that our hearts be open to whatever it is you want to learn about us to learn about you this morning. It is an honor and a privilege to be in front of you. We love you and we hope we can learn more about you. So, November 20th, 2016 was a very significant date in my life. Because on November the 20th, 2016, at the Air Canada Centre, Goldberg did what many said was impossible, and he defeated Brock the Beast Lesnar in under a minute. And I was actually at the Air Canada Centre that night, and here is my reaction to what had happened. It was pretty exciting. (laughs) It was something so shocking that it sent a ripple around the world so fierce that none of you heard about it or cared until now. (laughs) My name is James. I am the pastor of Wellspring Worship Center, and I really like pro wrestling. Uh, I know that it's kind of silly. There is not a lot of intelligence to pro wrestling. I'm okay with it. But I was thinking about it more and more this week, and the more I thought about it, the more I thought, actually, wrestling is really indicative of some of the worst parts of our modern culture, in particular, those which glamorize violence and those which glamorize retribution. Uh, One of the places where it's really clear that wrestling is like that is in the different names for the pay-per-views. Here's Vengeance is one, uh, Backlash is another, Unforgiven, Pay, but you're getting the idea, right? This is pretty, uh, they're kind of on that no mercy 
Uh, that's the rock on the front, so good times. In fairness, I don't really want to see a wrestling event called like restitution or just mercy. <laughs> it's just like the rock hanging out. I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to see that. It's the same with our movies in culture, right? As some of you have probably worked out by now, I'm kind of a pacifist. I really don't like violence very much. I think violence really only leads to other bad, more violent things. But one of my favorite movies is Man on Fire. He's a man on fire. I love this movie. He's an ex-military guy and he has no reason to live, but the little girl gives him a purpose, but then she's taken away and then he like violences his way back to her <laughs> through sheer like tyranny of will i think here's here's one of my favorite quotes from the movie man on fire remember like i'm a pacifist someone's like what are you gonna do he's like i'm gonna do what i do best i'm gonna kill him <laughs> anyone that's involved anyone that profited from it anyone who opens my eye, their eyes at me <laughs> and i'm like yeah do it man on fire <laughs> do all the violence do all the things because the alternative to that sounds like a terrible movie. What kind of movie would Man on Fire be if this reason to live got kidnapped? And he's like, well, that's cool. I'm going to let it slide. Or Denzel finally, like, he gets the girl back after all the violence. And then the person, like, begs that he spares him. And he's like, okay, no hard feelings. That's not the ending I want, right? Like, I, I want that vengeance, In this world, it seems that vengeance, even second-hand vengeance, vengeance for things that haven't even been done to me, it seems those things sell really well. Like, there's even a Reddit thread I enjoy called Justice Served, where it essentially has people being mean and then terrible things happening to them. And, like, I enjoy that, but I don't think I'm supposed to. But this second-hand vengeance is really tempting. Even vengeance for things that weren't done to me, that weren't even real, still feel really appealing. Hence, man on fire, and hence wrestling being as <laughs> addictive as it is. But we, I think, as a culture, are kind of addicted to vengeance. <laughs> and yet, Jesus. Like, Jesus comes along and ruins Everything, of course he does. Jesus comes along and he says, no, another world is possible. A world where vengeance doesn't have the final word. First hand, second hand, real, fake. That's not where this ends. Where violence isn't lusted over, where it isn't selling movies, where it isn't selling certain wrestling events that I may or may not attend. This is a world where forgiveness has the final word. This parable that we've just heard about the unmerciful servant is not the first time Jesus or the scriptures talk about forgiveness. It certainly will not be the last. But it is perhaps one of the most striking examples of what this new possible world is like. Remembering when and where Jesus chooses to share his parables is a very important thing. We should never ignore the context. I talk about this a lot. 
What has Jesus said beforehand? What has prompted this story? What's been going on around him? Chapter 18 of Matthew, as it turns out, is really loaded, and I've had a bit more time to read it this week than you have. But just to bring you up to speed, it begins with um, him talking about how seriously he takes the powerless, and then it moves on to the lost sheep. Uh, We see it, the lost sheep is the only lost parable that we see in Matthew, interestingly enough. Uh, Then it moves, so about searching after someone who's lost. Then it moves on to the piece about when someone sins in your church over and over again, make them like a tax collector and a Pharisee. And I must say, I think we've probably got this one wrong. I think for a long time, church has read this piece. Well, if someone wrongs in the church, make them like a tax collector or a Pharisee, which we've taken to mean throw them out, which is to completely ignore the way that Jesus always treats so it's tax collectors and pagans. The way that Jesus always treats tax collectors and pagans, which is to draw them closer. That seems to be what he does. Maybe that's what he's saying there. Because immediately after that, we get into this piece about forgiveness. And Peter puffs out his chest and thinks he's going to impress Jesus by saying, look how much forgiving I'm doing seven times. Isn't that amazing, Jesus? And Jesus is like, you don't even begin to fathom how much forgiveness we have in this kingdom. You haven't even begun to imagine this new world that I'm going to bring around. And so, yeah, (laughs) that's an interesting piece that we have something about lost people being found and then ends with the importance of forgiveness. And yet in the middle of that, we think, oh, but we should definitely toss out the people that we disagree with (laughs) or cause trouble in the church. That seems incredibly disjointed to me when in fact, I think Jesus is talking about the importance of forgiveness all the way through in church, out of church, whatever it means to be lost, we should be finding them, we should be drawing them closer. So let's go back to this parable and a couple of the more striking aspects of it. He begins this parable with what we should probably presume is the main character. I mean, if you're talking about a story where there's a king, the king would usually be the main character. He's in his court settling his accounts And the camera pans back to reveal all the people in front of him. A throne room full of individuals who presumably owe him money. And the one that owes him the most, 10,000 talents in all, is treated very harshly. This insurmountable amount of money. And he and all he loves will be thrown into prison until they can repay the debt. But the servant throws himself on the ground, pleading with the king which for some reason actually works. And the man is forgiven his debt. But no sooner is he released does the first servant find a second servant who owes him considerably less money. And this second servant mirrors the first. He throws himself on the ground and begs forgiveness. But the man who has been forgiven much remains unmoved. And much to the dismay of those around him, he has the man thrown in prison. The king hears about this, and his anger sears white hot. And without waiting for a reply, he has the servant thrown over to the torturers. The story begins and ends with the king settling his accounts. So another world is possible 
Jesus' urgency in this story is all too apparent. Do you, do you realize how important it is that you forgive? Do you understand this new world doesn't come about unless we understand that forgiveness is one of those foundations on which it rests? So I have to be really honest with you. I haven't struggled this much writing a sermon in quite a long while. People told me that it was going to get easier. I think they were just being nice to me, actually. But I couldn't work out why I was struggling to put this thing together. And I think the reason why is that I'm asking you to do something that I can't. And I don't like doing that. Because to be honest... I don't have a big problem with forgiving people, and it's not because I'm an amazing person. It's because that I just have very little to forgive. I have a very charmed life. Very few people have wronged me. There's one thing, and we'll get to that later. But it's really quite small compared to what some, even in this room, even this week, have suffered. I've never been the victim of sexism, let alone this week. I've never been the victim of racism, let alone this week. Those aren't things I have to deal with. Those aren't things I have to forgive because those aren't harms that have been done to me. And it's really important to me that as a leader, I only ask of you what I myself am willing to do. And as someone who hasn't been wronged, I don't know what it's like to carry that burden. I don't know what it's like to carry the weight of hurt or injustice or abuse of a violence that corrupts the way that we see ourselves and a way that we see the world around us. I can't do it, and I hate that. I'm thankful for it, certainly. But (laughs) I basically have to beg your forgiveness for making demands of you that I cannot do. One of the things as a pastor, you want to read texts that are hard and, and make them easier to digest or easier to understand or, or sweeten the pill. You don't want to make impossible demands of people. And I think the context helps a little bit here. So let's, let's spend some time there and then we'll get back to the really challenging parts. First of all, it's important to remember, as I've said, that this parable doesn't come out of nowhere. It comes from Peter saying, is forgiving seven times enough? Which, if we didn't know where this story was going, seems like a really foolish amount of times to forgive someone. Like, think about that practically. That sounds really dangerous and risky, and you're going to get hurt if you forgive people that many times. Even seven seems like so very much, and certainly (laughs) wouldn't do well in Hollywood. But what Jesus reveals is that any limitation on forgiveness is too much limitation. And he shows this, as he so often does, by telling a story. And in much of Jesus' stories and in much of his teaching, he exaggerates, he hyperbolizes. This is a device that many teachers have used through the ages. But you say things for dramatic or comedic effect in order to get your point across. And some people might be a little bit nervous saying, wait, so are you saying Jesus said things he didn't mean? No, no, that's not, I'm not, not saying that at all. 
I'm saying that actually we, we kind of all deep down believe that on some level, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. Because if we did take every word that he said literally, I'm assuming that all of us would have gouged out our eyes and chopped off our hands. Because if any of those things have ever caused us to sin, we chop them off. So if there is anyone in this room that hasn't sinned, raise a hand and take over. I'm assuming you're not out there. <laughs> and that, what that means is that we can sit, listen to Jesus' message without taking those words hyper-literally all the time. Likewise, 10,000 talents is an impossible amount of money. It's, it's completely insurmountable. And again, as Jesus would have shared this and said, and there was a man who owed 10,000 talents, all the commentaries I read were basically, this would have got a real laugh out of the crowd. Like, what a hilarious thing that someone would owe that much money. So the servant would have had to work quite a long time to repay that debt. For those of you that are interested, it would have been 200,000 years. Kind of difficult. The income of Herod, you know, the, the ruler of the land was about 180 talents a year. And to be clear, a talent is a weight. Like, it's not a denomination, it's a weight. It's like 40 kilograms. So, like 4,000 tons of silver or gold is an insane amount. This is the other interesting thing I learned this week, is that 10,000 was like the biggest number back then. Like the cultures wouldn't talk about anything larger than that because it was pointless. So 10,000 is the biggest number that exists. Uh, Josephus, who's an historian that we rely on quite a lot from this time, says that when the Romans sacked Jerusalem in 63 AD, they recovered some 10,000 talents from it. When Jesus opens this parable, he is saying this man owes all the money in the world. All the money in the world. And so we can see that he exaggerates for effect, he hyperbolizes because it's easier to listen to and it's easier to teach a lesson. And given that we know that he does that, I don't think it's a particular jump to say that imminent torture waits those of us that are less able to forgive right now. Much like dismemberment doesn't await for those who have sinned with our hands. And so, just because I want to get this out of the way earlier, like, do I think God tortures people who can't forgive? No, I don't. Because Scripture reveals to us over and over and over again this loving parent that Diana talked about so beautifully that draws us in, that draws his children close. Not one that throws them into the torturer's chamber. But these two beautiful and kind of humorous exaggerations the amount forgiven, and what awaits those who do not forgive, force our focus onto Jesus' main point here, and that is that another world is possible where forgiveness and not punishment has the final word. Jesus is like, I, I say to you, an eye for an eye, but I, <laughs> you've been told an eye for an eye, but I say to you something far more challenging. You think that forgiving three times is enough? You think seven times is enough? No. 77 or 70 times seven. Don't keep track of these things. 10,000 talents, 200,000 years. 
the point is this is forgiveness that cannot run out. It is a forgiveness that doesn't make sense. It's a forgiveness that legitimately violates the religious law of the day. Like, that's how controversial Jesus is being. He's like, yeah, we have laws for forgiveness. I don't even care. We're going to keep giving and giving and giving and forgiving and forgiving and forgiving. But those are the footprints that Jesus leaves wherever he walks. And those are his words that echo off clifftops. Those are his... (laughs) cries that roll across the waters over and over forever and ever. And so as I said, I I wanted to find a way to like soften this blow, to say it's okay if you can't let things slide, that if the damage has been done to you, it's too much, that, that you can just have that one Thing. And I want to be the pastor that can find the sensitive answers in all these situations, but I can't. Jesus doesn't make room for it. Because this new world isn't just possible, it is inevitable. It is an inevitable world where there is no more enmity. There are only forgiven sinners where there are no more words of wounding, only ones of grace. And maybe that burden feels like too much for some of us, uh, that that call may be too much, that the cuts are too deep. And my deep fear is that this message only encourages those who haven't been hurt that much. People like me who, frankly, are quite short on things that they need to forgive, But for those for whom life has been more cruel, my words only victimize. And reading this parable a certain way gives the impression that God is most mad with the people that have done the most awful things done to them. But of course, that's not the story. That's never been the way that God has revealed his heart throughout scripture, throughout prophets, throughout prayer and worship. God continuously reveals himself as the one who sides with the wounded and not against them. So if you hear me saying that God is like mad at you because you can't forgive, that, that's not what I'm saying. And I don't think it's true either. But there is this inescapable truth that when we forgive, we see God's kingdom come. And we do see that inevitable world reveal itself piece by piece. So if you're someone that feels that way, let's, as a community, share that burden together. Because that trauma is not something that you should have to go through, not ever. Not alone. And as I keep saying, forgiveness certainly is not something that comes particularly naturally to us. But if we as a church community can get that right, then we, (laughs) my notes here say, things become more Jesus. (laughs) I don't know if Jesus works as, as an adjective, but I think it might. So here's a thought that that has been quite helpful for me. And hopefully it gives us something a bit more practical for today. And I think it brings us full circle. 
Because I'm always a bit worried that people go home and they're like, oh, what was the sermon about? And if you say, forgiveness is good, <laughs> like, wow, glad I went to church for that one. <laughs> Something I've been thinking about this week that has been helpful for me and actually helpful for a few different people I've talked to is the idea of secondhand forgiveness. I talked about secondhand vengeance earlier, the idea that we can kind of feel good about someone else taking revenge. What about if we felt good about forgiving someone for something that they hadn't wronged us for? Because there may be things in your heart right now that you find impossible to forgive. And, uh, and here's mine. <laughs> when I started working in a church, some of the youth that I looked after were abused by a member of the clergy and, and I'm still not sure if I've really forgiven him. Like, I, I don't know what I'd do if I met him. I have nightmares about meeting him from time to time. Uh, but the thing is, society makes that really easy. Uh, there are certain people in society that we have deemed not fit for, to forgive or worthy of forgiveness in any situations, and and probably for the right reasons, child molesters are kind of up there. But no one ever really challenged me on that. It was more like, yeah, James, he's awful. Like, keep fighting, and he's terrible. Keep at it. And I did for years and years and years. I, I hated him. And people told me that I was right to do so. But that started to change once I started going to circles, sort of volunteering with Circles. And Circles is a support group, for those of you that don't know, for folks who have been to prison for sex offenses against children. And again, this is understandably something that many people do not want to forgive. And there may be very personal reasons for that, and, and I completely, I, I know, I can't understand. I won't even pretend I can understand. Because people who have been immediately harmed by offenders find that stuff even more difficult. And we as a society find it difficult. What about the individuals? But as someone who has not been directly impacted by the crimes of the person now sitting in front of me, it's much easier for me to see them as more than their offenses, as a complete person, as a person who maybe we do or don't want to acknowledge is created in the image and likeness of God too. And whilst there may be plenty of people out there who are not ready to forgive them, I can be their friend. I can be their confident. I can forgive them at least for the very, very minor way in which their crimes have impacted me and have impacted society. So this is a thing that I've kind of had bumbling, bumbling around in my head for a while. But I think there's like enough and forgiveness in the world and within us And whilst there may be some people that we have a really hard time forgiving, there may be folks that have done similar things that we're able to love and support because they haven't done those things to us. Because this new world is is inevitable. It's not just possible, it's, it's happening, it's coming. And I think us loving people more and forgiving people more is a pretty good way of helping it come about by loving those people that are sometimes so very hard to forgive, by heeding 
Jesus's urgency when he says like 70 times 7, it's so important. Wrestling and Hollywood and all those things, they're kind of based on our enjoying secondhand vengeance. But what if instead we offer this secondhand forgiveness? Jesus says that he'll give rest to all who are burdened and all whom are heavy laden. But he doesn't say what from. And some of those things will be things that people can't forgive themselves for and the people they've wronged can't forgive them for. But Jesus still offers that rest. And so I think we should too. What if we as a community are able to do the same? To say we will love you regardless of the things that you have done, regardless of the shame that you feel, regardless of what you've done to hurt others. We can love you. We will treat you like a tax collector or a pagan. And what that means is that we will draw you so close. So close. Let me finish with this. Um, A part of me, even now, is like pleased when I hear about what happens to that servant. That after the way that he treats the other guy who owed him a few days' wages, that the king finds out and throws him into the torturous chamber. And a part of me goes, yeah, good. You deserve that. But I don't think this was ever Jesus' intention when telling this story. If we feel joy at this secondhand vengeance, then we've missed the point. Because the point of the parable is that everything you've ever done can be forgiven. It doesn't run out. 10,000 talents, 200,000 years. And if that sits uncomfortably with you, either because you are unable to forgive yourself for what you've done or unable to forgive others for the damage that they've been done to you, then, then I haven't communicated my point clearly enough. Let's us use the limbs that we haven't cut off and the eyes that we haven't gouged out to help make this a community where we can say that this other world is inevitable and the kingdom of God is here. Let's pray. Father, for anything that the words today have stirred up, for hurts that are fresh or happened to us a long time ago and still affect us so much, we pray that we can lay those things at your feet and we pray. We pray that we can know what it is like to forgive and to be forgiven. To have that weight lifted off us. Of bearing grudges and having grudges born against us. We pray. We see your kingdom come. Amen.